Welcome to People and Purpose, a monthly podcast series brought to you by the Community Impact Program of global top-tier law firm King of Wood Mallisons. People and Purpose talks to leaders in the social impact sector who are creating positive social change and addressing major justice challenges, objectives which underpin the Community Impact Program of KWM. The podcast seeks to spark a conversation about structural causes of poverty and inequality and generate ideas to help alleviate those global problems. My name is Dan Creasy and I'm the Head of Pro Bono and Community Impact at Kingwood Mallisons. In this episode of People and Purpose, I had the pleasure of speaking with Peter Walton, CEO of Care Australia, and Diana Nicholson, Senior Partner at KWM and Director of Care Australia, about the challenges and opportunities facing the for-purpose sector in such uncertain times and how the organisation they lead is continually adapting and responding to change while mobilising broad support and staying focused on the short, medium and long-term goals of a leading international aid organisation that works around the globe to save lives and defeat poverty. Peter became CEO of Care Australia in January 2020. He has over 28 years of international experience seeking better outcomes in both international development and humanitarian activities. During his career, he has undertaken assignments in over 50 countries. Peter has held a number of senior roles in the humanitarian and development sector, including International Director with Save the Children Australia and Chief Executive of Info Exchange, an enterprise that uses technology in support of social impact and social justice. Immediately prior to joining Care Australia, Peter was the International Director with Australian Red, Red Cross and has led a transformation of its approach to better equip the organisation to maximise its impact and evolve in a rapidly changing environment. Diana is a senior partner in the mergers and acquisitions practice of Kingwood Mallisons. The practice primarily involves securities, industry law, fundraising, acquisitions and takeovers, as well as the more general aspects of commercial law. Diana has held many roles at KWM, including partner in charge of the Melbourne Centre, and she is a long-standing board member of KWM Community Impact, our large-scale social impact program. In 2019, Diana was appointed to the board of Care Australia as a director, continuing her long history of supporting the communities in which she lives, works and operates. The three of us live in Melbourne, but because of COVID-19, we recorded this podcast from the safety of our respective home offices. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Well, Peter Walton and Diana Nicholson, welcome to People and Purpose, and thank you so much uh, for being with us today for this new episode. Great to be here. Very much, Dan. Uh, Peter, I might start with you. Um, you became CEO of Care Australia at the start of this year, arguably before the world changed forever, given the uh, global pandemic, COVID-19. What's it been like taking over the reins of a, of a large not-for-profit um, organisation during a time of incredible uncertainty and great challenge? Yeah, I think I'd have to say this is the most unusual start to a, a role I think I've ever had. I'm seven months in and six of those months have been working from home. Um, but it's also been, I guess, quite an exceptional time for care as an organisation. It's uh, the first time in our history that we have simultaneously launched an emergency in every country that we operate in, whilst also grappling with you know, all of the challenges that COVID is uh, presenting to how we work uh, and our role here in Australia. 
So my first few months, at times, I think it's felt almost like we're dealing with a, an existential challenge. But then at other times, I also feel, feel that this is an opportunity and it has it sort of brought out the very best of CARE. CARE is an organisation that responds to um, complexity, conflict, uh, natural disasters. And I think um, it has been an opportunity for us to sort of recalibrate how we think and, um, you know, really put all of the sort of the skills and techniques that we've applied through many, many different contexts to use, albeit in a really compressed um, space of time. But it has felt, I think, quite like a, a bit of a day of reckoning for the not-for-profit sector here in Australia. And, that, you know, it does present a challenge to to rethink what all of this means because I don't think there is going back to anything which has any resemblance to the type of normal that we felt before. Hmm. Thanks Peter and we'll come back to maybe some of the challenges and opportunities in a moment but before we do I'm keen to now go to Diana. Diana you were appointed to the board of Care Australia in 2019. Uh, it's no doubt uh, been quite the ride uh, since, uh, since then given the events of the last year. So how are you settling into your role? What attracted you to being a board member uh, in the first place and, and what are the board's uh, key priorities? So it's quite a big question really and, and, and Peter I might sort of come back to where you started a little bit. Um, I, I guess to start with, the reason I was attracted to care is it sort of aligns with a lot of my core values. And as you know, Dan, you know, I've got a very long-held and deep belief that one should contribute to this sector as a whole. But for me, care offers that in a number of ways, both because it's, you know, to, the, to, the, to your emergency, you know, points, Peter, it does respond to people in need and it responds with competence and care. Um, and, and I hope and like to think with, you know, enormous um, kindness but most importantly practical focused help that will really make a difference but also you know the other part of our program is very much focused on actually making sustainable change uh, change that will actually drive improvement and long-term long-term conditions that that really allow the community to take their hands or take take things in their own hands but really drive forward in a very positive fashion and, and that's very attractive to me. It's also very attractive that a lot of that is driven by women. Um, Accords with my own, my own views that, you know, often you'll get things done quicker and more sustainably. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that we've had enormous success with those programs in really, in really making a huge difference and actually shifting the dial a bit. And, and that, that is something that very much attracted me. Um, I think the ride as a board member has been interesting, just as, you know, Peter says, we're living through extraordinary times. I think... You know, Peter, some of the things that we've seen have been amazing. You know, we've got um, one of the one of our people is in New Zealand running a number of the country programs from there. And, you know, normally that wouldn't happen um, in the same way as it has. But I think we've been extraordinarily flexible in being able to deal with some of those and, and really very successful. And, and you can perhaps explain a little bit of that, Peter. But I think the other thing is just like every other business, We've had to look at our soul and work out what what we can afford to do um, sustainably and well, and that is a great opportunity to focus, but is also an enormous challenge. And I think you know, Peter, you've done an amazing job in walking into that that really huge task. Is it w walking in or diving in, I'm not quite not quite <laughs> sure. Um, but I'd love to pick up on on something you've just said. There's a great from the former. Secretary of State in the US, Madeleine Albright, and I, I may misquote it, but she basically said, 
you know, pe people are talking to governments now using 21st century technology. Governments are listening on 20th century technology and responding with 19th century policy. And actually, um, I'll probably take this out of context, but I think the challenges that uh, charities and uh, indeed international NGOs face are similar to that that statement insofar as um, things are changing at such an astonishing pace now. And uh, the organizations that are able to embrace the need to significantly change and to innovate and really be open to doing things differently, I think are the ones that will succeed. And I, you know, and I think that the, the shift around COVID has, you know, really enabled some organizations to demonstrate how they can do can be done differently and whether that's working from home or embracing digital but um, to Diana's point it also talks about um, shifts in power that are forced upon a sector who would ordinarily have a very different approach to responding to a natural disaster for example so the, the concept of locally led has been forced upon a humanitarian and development system and I think that's a you know uh, in many ways, a really, a really good thing. And, uh, you know, so sometimes sort of great things come out of deep challenges. And I think um, we're seeing that with COVID. Peter, can we take that a little bit further? And I, I really love that quote from uh, Madeleine Albright. Uh, thanks for sharing that with me. I need to um, have written that one down. It's great. Um, it's also been said, though, of course, at this time that there's um, tremendous opportunity that comes out of situations like that, particularly for the for-purpose sector. So do you agree with that? Do you think that there's a myriad of opportunities there? And if so, what is Care Australia's thinking, both from a strategic and an operational standpoint? Yeah, well, well I do. I mean, I think it's, it's a glasses half full or glasses half empty scenario. But I, you know, I think the shifts around working differently in the future of work is clearly an opportunity. I don't think anybody, regardless of industry in Australia, expects to be going back to, uh, you know, a typical nine to five office type environment when we've all been able to demonstrate how we can shift to more flexible working. And I think, the, you know, the possibilities around that in terms of inclusion and diversity, employing people with mobility issues or people with um, uh, other form carer responsibilities, you know, I think it is a bit of a game changer in terms of thinking how we get work done differently. In terms of the nature of CARE's work, though, I mean, I think we want to maximise our impact. And I think this is a challenge for the sector, because here in Australia, we have you know, 600,000 not-for-profit organisations, 60,000 of them are uh, potentially economically viable, but competing for a shrinking pot of funding. Mm -hmm. And I think COVID is going to sort of unravel a lot of that. And I think the organisations that are able to to, to rethink how they can be successful in the new world will quite possibly thrive. And the, con the, the concept that I raised before around localization, I think is, is a fundamental change for the nature of our work. So maybe if I can illustrate that, um, under normal circumstances in the past, when there was a major natural disaster, such as a tropical cyclone, what is very, very typical is for literally hundreds of international organizations to flood into a country to offer support. You know, and that's great in terms of altruistic intent, but it often bypasses local structures, local systems, local decision making. Um, when tropical cyclone Pam hit Vanuatu a few years ago, there was 135 international organizations operating in a country with just over a quarter of a million people. And many of them hadn't worked there before. 
And, uh, you know, when I think about the bushfires and the other natural disasters we've had here in Australia, we, we would be absolutely aghast if uh, hundreds of organisations came in here and started telling us how to do things uh, and bypassing the restoration of you know normality here. So I think there's real lessons for us to think about the opportunities of really shifting power and shifting how... Uh, the role of uh, organisations like CARE is really around making response uh, as local as possible and only as international as necessary in a complementary way. Because ultimately, you know, the responders to any disaster are the local communities. They know what's best for them. And we need to make some fundamental pivots so that we are better able to support organisations like that. So I do think there's an opportunity. I think there's an opportunity to um, really think quite radically different around how how we need to work differently to get much better results. There's a couple of things you've said there I'm, I'm keen to sort of dive into a little bit deeper, firstly around funding and then secondly around the humanitarian aid system. Um, Returning to the funding piece, data published recently suggests that 2019 was one of the worst uh, fundraising years on record. Many charities were already struggling prior to COVID-19. Um, Social Ventures Australia research showed uh, charities have very little in terms of cash reserves. Of course, COVID-19 has meant that uh, many organisations have had to pivot uh, their fundraising activities while still dealing with fewer and fewer volunteers. So Diana, um, in your view, what should charities be doing right now to adapt and to respond in such uncertain times? I, I think, and this, Peter, we haven't really sort of spoken about this at great length, but I think there's a, there's a combination of things. One is, you know, and I think, care has been excellent at this is immediately looking at your own business dynamics and not not all charities are as well run as carers we're a very disciplined um financially efficient and focused organization and i think that we've been fortunate to have a level of professionalism um that that you know peter and i really inherited which meant that you can operate like any business under stress you immediately then have to do um you know, an assessment of what you can, in fact, afford to do, um, which is separate to the fundraising, but absolutely critical to it. Because if you don't have that sound economic base, then actually, you, you know, you, you, you're starting on the back foot. And and I think, you know, for, for Peter, that's something that in amongst all of this, he's had to absolutely focus on. And, you know, I think has been very successful at trying to do that as well as drive a new strategic direction. Um, mm -hmm. But, but I think the second part of it is is how do you fundraise? And this goes to Peter's glass half full or glass half empty. And, you know, my, my own view is that, you know, the, the bushfires and COVID have actually shown that we do understand, um, you know, our obligations to each other as a community. And while I think that there will be people who themselves will be battling, I think that as a community, you know, as a whole, Australia's done really well at recognising the needs of other people and the needs to, to care for each other. And I think what is incumbent upon us is to find more modern systems of fundraising. And that that is going to be challenged. But I think that you need to embrace social media. You need to think about differently. You know, some of the things that, Dan, within our own program, we've been working on as to how to show people what does make a difference and to actually share those messages, you know, really well. And, Peter, we run... Well, Dan runs a little a little section called sort of short and sweet, which is where just just a few little stories are shared, 
I think things like that that really resonate with people and just can actually make things real make a very big difference. But it is, it is no doubt a, a huge challenge that the sector as a whole is going to focus. And, you know, Peter, you, you know, Dad has spent a lot more time thinking about it than I have and maybe have some yeah, no, ideas. Yeah, happy to add some comments to build on what Diana's just said. I think, um, you know, we, we look at the, the same research that shows sort of declining levels of um, more traditional philanthropy. But we also see research that demonstrates the generosity of um, Australians is amongst the highest in the world. So what uh, what I think that tells us is it's it's the way that you engage uh, and the way that you are able to bring to life things that are really important and influence that is really is really important. We're, we're frequently seeing people aligned with issues and causes rather than sort of institutions. But that doesn't mean that uh, organisations like CARE don't have to, don't need to play an important brokerage role to, to connect people with their interests and so forth. So, you know, I think there's still, uh, you know, a huge amount of opportunity, but moving away from, I guess, just traditional philanthropy is, you know, important for many organisations. And I think different forms of partnership and different forms of um, financing uh, are really important. You know, we're um, increasingly seeing, and, you know, CARE is involved in this space in looking at uh, impact investment, looking at different forms of partnership, which aren't just around, uh, I guess, re receiving grants to deliver, but looking at un leveraging the unique skills that uh, other organisations have. I mean, um, achieving different forms of, um, making different forms of social contribution isn't the sort of the only sort of um, domain of not-for-profit organizations you know across industry and across leadership we see people that want to make a difference especially to the sustainable development goals so you know i'm really excited that you know we're in the space of whether it's talking to banking institutions around how um, cash uh, transfers can make a difference to vulnerable people or insurance companies looking at insurance products or indeed law firms, how breaking down legislative barriers around things like housing, land, property, or other forms of legislative barrier that prevent humanitarian and development um, activity being effective is the space that we need to uh, sort of increasingly embrace. So I think um, that, so it isn't just about traditional philanthropy, but it does take a different approach towards how do we actually achieve the impact that we're seeking. And so much of what you offer there, Peter, you know, has um, uh, implications for how we run our own internal philanthropy within a law firm as well. And I think the comms and the engagement piece really um, hold true. That's such a key piece is demonstrating the impact that an organisation is having to keep people engaged. Can I just shift gears slightly and maybe come back to one of the points you were getting at before, which I think is related to the, uh, the perception that some people have that the international humanitarian aid system is broken. And that's a term that's sometimes used. Is that what you were alluding to before, Peter, where you said you, you referenced different organisations uh, coming into a country post-disaster and operating sometimes uh, without the requisite sort of permissions and endorsements. Is that what you're alluding to or was, is well, it bigger I than that? I think it is bigger than that. And look, saying it's broken, I think sometimes, and I probably have been guilty of that myself, sometimes does a disservice to the huge amount of incredible work that organisations in this space do. But I think um, that, that statement does resonate with me because... Um, I don't think the, the current approaches are really fit for purpose. So in recent years, for example, the last five years, uh, I believe, there's been a 40% shortfall in the resources needed to meet the, the humanitarian challenges today. Yet over the next 10 years, we're going to see 
increasing frequency and intensity of natural disasters and prolonged conflict. We're anticipating 100 million people on the move, either refugees or internally displaced people. The planet's likely to be one and a half degrees warmer, maybe a billion more people. If we're falling short today, and we're going to face that over the next 10 years, in my mind, something clearly needs to change. And, you know, so it's really on my mind, how do we actually start thinking about different approaches that uh, help position us to meet the future needs, not just today's needs, but also look at how we are addressing the root causes of some of the fundamental challenges that we anticipate, not just treating the symptoms and not just treating them sort of retrospectively, actually trying to reduce risk and reduce need and build up resilience in advance. And I think, Peter, that's that's a really mm. important point for people to understand, that it's not, not just a responsive approach. It's really important to think ahead as to where help will be needed Try, try to avoid the need for it, but to also have just taken a much more holistic, you know, view of the, of the challenges. And I think um, just the consequences of climate change for a number of the communities that we work in, you know, are just going to be huge. And with that number of people in need, um, plus food sources moving or becoming challenged, it is it is complex. And so the more that you can have thought ahead and therefore meet the challenge from a position of readiness or at least having um, given some thought to it, obviously would be, you know, a huge help in assisting with any response. Yeah. Mm. Really important pieces of um, information and guidance. Diana, sticking with you, given your position as a board member of Care Australia, but also your role as a senior partner of a top tier law firm, how do you think that corporate Australia um, can better mobilise the skills that it has, whether it be financial, legal, marketing, comms, IT, to help charities not only survive but thrive post-COVID? I think, look, I, I honestly think there's a huge amount that can be done. We're, we're very fortunate at CARE that, that the board has got a number of people from, from a number of industries and we've, we've got some fantastic help. We've, you know, for example, McKinsey's have been very generous in assisting us with business planning, um, board members stepping in with expertise in HR to assist even, you know, with your recruitment, Peter. Okay, um, you. <laughs> uh, you know, our, our own firm, I think, stepping up in the COVID environment in terms of just even local legal issues because, you know, the, the sorts of charities that we're talking about, they don't, they don't have deep resources or expertise that, that can deliver in sort of enormously challenged times. And so I think, you know, Dan, an, a number of corporate response of just pure knowledge um, and the ability to roll out things quickly because we deal with it all the time for, for corporates can make a very, very big difference, um, obviously both in terms of sophistication but in terms of just, just delivering a result without having to be able to fund it um, is certainly something. But I think the other core role is by one, driving a value system um, and I think we've spent a lot of time on corporate culture and Australian corporations, which can only benefit our sector because the, the drive for a values-led society is obviously re resonates with a for-purpose organisation. But then in terms of communicating um, the values of our particular organisation, its focus on the future and its focus on, you know, preventing disaster as well as assisting in disaster... That, that form of communication and transmission of message 
is something that if you can leverage the corporate uh, reach both to its employees but to its broader stakeholder group in terms of its suppliers um, and, you know, employees and their families, I, I really think that, that if we can harness that strongly, then actually that will really, really help us, um, you know, fill, fill the more um, old-fashioned fundraising void, if you like. Mm. Thanks, Diana. Peter, did you want to add to anything that Diana's just yeah, said there? Yeah, I fully agree. And look, um, Care Australia feels incredibly grateful to be supported by um, Kingwood Malisons. Um, and I think that, you know, and I think the type of support that we get really benefits us in a couple of ways. So clearly the pro bono support across all of the areas of expertise that you have just adds such incredible value to our work. But I also think that there's uh, increasingly uh, as I was alluding to before, opportunities to take it away from um, the philanthropic support and the pro bono support uh, on its own, but also into leveraging the unique skill sets of organizations like KWM solving the complex problems. So one of the examples I've mentioned before, um, Tropical Cyclone Pam in Vanuatu, uh, after that event occurred, many people couldn't rebuild their houses because they couldn't demonstrate ownership of land that they'd lived on for generations. So housing, land and property and the legislative barriers, I think, you know, there's opportunities to solve problems together. When we're talking about um, women's economic empowerment and um, workers' rights and dignified work, you know, I think there's opportunities there. Um, or indeed, disaster response legislation. I think when we start to think differently around the nature of partnership, I think um, the opportunities are, are huge. So, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about uh, how we might continue our partnership. Thanks, Peter. And I want to sort of change tact altogether now and discuss another topic which has been getting uh, plenty of attention in recent times, particularly through um, The Guardian Australia, and it's around structural racism. And Structural racism, of course, is not a new issue um, in Australian philanthropy or indeed global philanthropy. Um, it's also, no, not, though, not an issue that many people talk openly about. Now, some are wanting to change that. Is it a topic that you or Care Australia are wanting to discuss or are thinking about, Peter? Oh, absolutely. And, and I'd go further to say if it isn't a topic that's uh, front and centre for all organisations in this space, then we've got a bigger problem. I think whether we're talking about um, institutional racism, whether we're talking about uh, the Me Too movement, or indeed the Black Lives Matters movement, what we're actually talking about is sort of um, unequal distributions of power and, and how that gets misused. And I think uh, CARE as an organisation that puts gender equality at its heart is constantly looking at, um, you know, how do we actually address some of these deep, often systemic issues uh, around the misuse of power and how that leads to exploitation for people, especially women and girls. So it is a topic that we're constantly focused on around how do we also ensure that we are, you know, a, an organisation that is getting to the root cause problems, challenging such dynamics and also leading by example. And a good example of that is, you know, making sure that uh, Care International, Care Globally is an organisation that's truly representative of the communities that it seeks to serve, that we're actually being led, uh, listening to and being led by local voices, but also ch challenging the, the structures that actually perpetuate inequality. And I think ultimately organisations have a a choice that they make. They can either perpetuate the status quo uh, as unequal as it is across many 
domains, or you can actively challenge that and by offering you know, really good solutions and the type of change that we need to, to address inequality. And that's, so that's something that is constantly on our, on our agenda. Mm, thanks, Peter. Great to hear as well. Um, turning back to Diana, um, Diana, for our listeners who are interested in the not-for-profit sector and are perhaps considering a board role, what sort of advice or tips would you give to those people? Um, oh, oh, a funny question in some ways, Dan, because I think these board roles um, are as as serious as and as important as any other board role, and I think. What, what I've learned over time is that what, what you can bring to it is a great diversity of skill, but it certainly is, is demanding in the sense of it's, it's incumbent upon you to, to bring your, the full force of that skill and knowledge um, and a challenge. And I, I think I've been very lucky in that for a long time I've had the great honour and privilege of being involved at Melbourne Olympic Parks in Victoria and have been able to bring from that a number of the things that the governance systems there, um, which are which are high because they're driven by government and it's part of you know the Victorian government's um, initiatives in this state, um, to to care and to be able to know what to challenge, what questions to ask, what suggestions to make, um, to be able to be confident to to to, to question management as appropriately, um, but I think also to be able to be supportive. And so I think that, that the roles themselves. Are of course best if they align with your passions but at the same time I think that that it's incumbent upon anybody who's on a board to bring the full stretch of your skills to it. Um, I think we're enormously lucky at CARE because management make that job as easy as possible with a level of professionalism that I suspect Peter is not common amongst all um, for purpose organisations. Um, we're also lucky because and, and maybe maybe this is naive but we're not a you know, a particularly politically driven organisation. We don't have, um, you know, sort of divisional warfare amongst uh, our incumbent members of any sort. And so we have the great benefit of being very aligned in what we do. But, you know, what I would say is it's most enormously rewarding and it's, you know, I'm, I'm extremely proud to be associated with CARE. Yeah, fantastic. As a not as a director of a not-for-profit or a couple of not-for-profits myself, I, I really agree with that piece around it being rewarding. I think it's one of the most rewarding things um, that I get to do through my own um, volunteering capacity. Fully, fully endorse uh, that message. Thank you, Diana. Um, Peter, um, really to close out the conversation today, I, I wanted to ask you uh, really about what's the best way that our listeners um, can support Care Australia right at this right at this time, right at this challenging, uncertain time. Um, we'd be delighted if people um, would support Care Australia and our important women work for women, girls, men and boys. Um, the best way to do so is by jumping onto our website, which is care.org.au or calling the free phone number 1-800-020-046. Brilliant. Thank you, Peter. Um, and thank you, Diana. It's been a great conversation. I think we've covered a lot of terrain in the 30 minutes um, that we had together. Um, and um, I'd certainly love to continue the conversation with both of you on a range of different topics. Um, on behalf of People and Purpose, thank you both so much uh, for giving up your uh, time today to be with us. But more importantly, thank you both for the work that you do uh, in supporting Care Australia, uh, its mission, its objectives, and the fantastic work uh, that it does all around the world. So thank you. Thank you, Dan, thank very you, Dan. much. Thank you.